welcome to episode number 288 of Sleep Whispers. Tonight you'll hear a Whisperpedia episode about the Great Molasses Flood of 1919. I'm Harris, and I hope this podcast helps to tranquilize those restless squirrels in your brain so you can relax and fall asleep. If you would like to try free access to over 400 more of my sleep-inducing episodes, then just use the link in the episode notes or visit sleepwhispers.com. All right. Why did I choose the Great Molasses Flood for tonight's Whisperpedia? It was inspired by Diane, another listener who is a lover of history. A while ago, she requested, quote, Stuff about history is always good. History fascinates me. End quote. So, Diane, I went digging for something fascinating, and I found it. It's the Great Molasses Flood that occurred in Boston in 1919. You are about to hear about 2.3 million gallons of molasses rushing through the streets of Boston like a sticky tsunami. (laughs) I am also going to weave in some interesting facts about molasses, such as, did you know it was used to make ammunition? (laughs) Yeah, sticky boom boom. I will even weave in a secret CIA operation that was related to molasses and explosives. Diane, are you ready for some fascinating history? Here are some of the questions I'll address tonight. Where does molasses come from? How do you make molasses? How is blackstrap molasses different from other types of molasses? Is molasses used for anything besides cooking? And the answer is yes. And you're going to be surprised at all these crazy uses. One I already hinted at. So, yes, I will tell you how molasses is turned into an explosive substance. I'm also going to be telling you about where all the molasses came from that filled the streets of Boston in 1919 and was a trolley car really knocked off its track by the molasses wave Yes. 
was a truck really thrown into the Boston Harbor by this wave of molasses. Yes. How did they clean up all that molasses? How long did Boston smell like molasses? And also, were people hurt during the Great Molasses Flood? Yes, although this event sounds kind of funny, it is still basically a disaster and a tragedy. I'll finish, though, with an upside, sort of, which is how this event resulted in better safety regulations. So, although this was a tragedy, lessons were learned that prevented many future tragedies. Okay, let's begin tonight's Whisperpedia. The following are select sections and details from the Wikipedia articles titled Great Molasses Flood, Molasses, Cordite, and other linked Wikipedia articles. The Great Molasses Flood occurred in Boston, Massachusetts at the Purity Distilling Company on January 15, 1919. The disaster occurred when a large storage tank filled with 2.3 million gallons or 8.7 million liters of molasses suddenly burst. This resulted in a tidal wave of molasses weighing about 13,000 tons to gush forth. Now, you, you probably know some basic facts about molasses. It is sweet, it is sticky, and it is usually brown. But do you know where it comes from? Do you know how to create blackstrap molasses? And why would a company store and process huge amounts of it? Molasses is made from sugar cane, sugar beets, grapes, cherries, or sour plums. To produce molasses from sugar cane, the plant is initially harvested and then stripped of leaves. The juice is then extracted from the plant by cutting, crushing, or mashing. The juice is then boiled to produce a concentrate and encourage sugar crystallization. The result of this first boiling is called first syrup or a molasses and it has the highest sugar content 
southern United States. First syrup, or a molasses, is usually referred to as cane syrup rather than molasses. Second molasses, or second syrup, or B molasses, is produced by a second boiling and the taste is slightly more bitter. To get a deeper and more robust flavor, the syrup is boiled a third time to get C molasses, also known as blackstrap molasses. Some people enjoy blackstrap molasses for the taste as well as for the much higher nutritional content compared to highly refined sugars. Blackstrap molasses can provide up to 20% of your recommended daily value of several vitamins and minerals. The taste and the nutrition of all forms of molasses has made it a popular cooking ingredient for some cultures and for some specific foods. Companies have made and sold lots of molasses over time for the production of dark rye breads, whole grain breads, cookies, pies, barbecue sauces, jerky, tobacco flavor, brown sugar, and gingerbread. Molasses has also been used in mortar for brickwork, for casting ink rollers, and as a soil additive to promote microbial activity. But of course, there is another use for molasses, which brings us back to our story of the Great Molasses Flood. Molasses is also used to make ethanol, also known as alcohol. In particular, it is used to make rum, stouts, and porters. In early America, molasses was most commonly used as a sweetener in foods and as an ingredient in brewing beer. Even George Washington published a molasses beer recipe. So, why did the Purity Distilling Company of Boston have a huge tank filled with 2.3 million gallons of molasses in 1919. The company was fermenting the molasses into ethanol for their parent company, the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. Not everyone in Boston may have believed that, though. Some people in Boston may have had concerns that the molasses 
was being used for another purpose. At this time in history, there was another major use for molasses. It was used for the production of cordite, which is a substance similar to gunpowder. Cordite was invented in the late 1800s and has been used in rifle cartridges, tank guns, artillery, and naval guns. So, how is molasses used to make the explosive substance of cordite? The initial process is practically the same as converting molasses into alcohol. It all begins with a large holding tank filled with molasses. The molasses is heated and cooled to destroy bacteria. Yeast is then added to ferment the molasses to ethanol, also known as alcohol. The alcohol is pumped through wood shavings that contain special bacteria to convert the alcohol into vinegar. Milk of lime is added to the vinegar, which is also known as acetic acid, and this produces acetate of lime. The acetate of lime is evaporated with heat to leave little solid flakes behind. Now, those solid flakes which initially started as molasses, are finally combined with nitroglycerin and trinitrocellulose to form the explosive substance of cordite. And I know what your big question is right now. Was the Purity Distilling Company in Boston actually storing molasses to make cordite? No. But you will hear later how the company uses this knowledge about molasses as a precursor for explosives as part of its defense. Alright, now back to the 1919 disaster. The day before the disaster, a ship had delivered a fresh load of molasses to the Purity Distilling Company. It was below freezing that day, so the molasses was warmed up to help it flow more freely. It was piped into a storage tank that was 50 feet or 15 meters tall and 90 feet or 27 meters in diameter. The warmed molasses was combined with colder molasses that was already in the tank. This probably resulted 
and expansion of the fluid and increased pressure inside the tank, possibly initiated by the thermal expansion of the molasses inside the tank. The tank burst open at about 12.30 p.m. the next day. On January 15, 1919, witnesses reported that they felt the ground shake and heard a roar as the tank of molasses collapsed. Some described the sound as a long rumble, similar to the passing of an elevated train. Others described the noise as a tremendous crashing, a deep growling, and a thunderclap-like bang. It was even said to sound like a machine gun. This may have been the sound of rivets bursting, which had been holding the tank together. Molasses is 40% more dense than water, resulting in a heavier fluid than water with more potential energy. Another contributing factor to the disaster was the weather. Although the prior day had been freezing, the day of the disaster was much warmer at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or 4 degrees Celsius. This allowed the escaped molasses to be less viscous and flow much more quickly. The collapse of the 50-foot tall tank of molasses translated this energy into a wave of molasses with a peak height of 25 feet or 8 meters and a velocity of 35 miles per hour or 56 kilometers per hour. The powerful wave of molasses spread out into the streets of Boston, hitting a city trolley and tipping it off its tracks. Nearby buildings were even swept off their foundations and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to a depth up to three feet. 90 centimeters of gooey, sticky molasses. A Boston report described it as waist deep, covering the streets while it swirled about the wreckage. In addition to trolleys and buildings, trucks, horses, and humans were also caught by surprise. One truck was even picked up and hurled into the Boston Harbor. After the initial wave, the molasses became thicker as the temperature dropped 
throughout the afternoon. The increased viscosity made it even more difficult for people to get out of it or for rescue teams to get to them. Not only were people covered in molasses, but many inhaled some of the sweet syrup, which resulted in the common ailment of coughing fits. First to the scene were 116 cadets who had been nearby on a training ship of the Massachusetts Nautical School. The cadets ran several blocks toward the accident and entered into the knee-deep flood of molasses to pull out the survivors. Other cadets worked to keep curious onlookers from getting in the way of the rescuers. The Boston Police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy personnel all soon arrived. Similar to the cadets, some nurses from the Red Cross dived into the molasses to help rescue individuals. Other nurses tended to the injured, keeping them warm and also feeding the exhausted workers. Many of the rescue personnel worked through the night. Due to the difficulty of making their way through the molasses, the search and rescue missions lasted four days. In the end, it was determined that 21 people had perished and about 150 people were injured due to the disaster. How was the molasses cleaned up? Well, cleanup crews used salt water from a fireboat to wash away the molasses and they used sand to help absorb it. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, with several hundred people contributing to the effort. But the problem was much bigger than that, because people had accidentally spread the molasses all throughout a much wider vicinity. Rescue workers cleanup crews, and sightseers had tracked the molasses through the streets of Greater Boston and into its suburbs. Molasses was all over subway platforms. It was all over seats, inside trains, and streetcars. It was on the handsets of pay telephones. People had dragged it inside their homes and countless other places. It was reported that everything that a Bostonian touched was sticky. Cleaning up the widespread of molasses from everywhere took months. Even the harbor was brown with molasses until summer. Decades later, 
resident claimed that the area still smelled of molasses on hot summer days. One journalist is quoted as saying, quote, The smell of molasses remained for decades a distinctive, unmistakable atmosphere of Boston. End quote. So, who or what was responsible for this disaster? In the wake of the accident, 119 residents brought a class action lawsuit against the parent company of Purity Distilling. It was one of the first class action lawsuits in Massachusetts, and it is considered a milestone in paving the way for modern corporate regulation. The company, in their defense, claimed that the tank had been blown up by anarchists. Their defense was that some people in Boston may have blown up the tank of molasses so it couldn't be converted to the explosive substance, cordite. This weak defense didn't work well for the company. But let me, Harris, jump in here to say that the possibility isn't so far-fetched as it sounds. I went digging around the internet and I found out about a United States CIA mission called Operation Mongoose. In 1961, some 400 CIA officers worked on a anti-terrorist project that was focused on Cuba. U.S. operatives were sent to Cuba to attack potential terrorist facilities, and these included, yep, you guessed it, molasses storage tanks, because they could be converted into explosive substances. <laughs> All right, back to our story. After three years of hearings, a court-appointed auditor did not think any rebels or secret agents had blown up the molasses storage tank. Instead, the parent company of Purity Distilling was found responsible and had to pay $628,000 in damages. This would be equivalent to almost $10 million today. Several factors might have contributed to the disaster. The first factor is the belief that the tank may have leaked from the very first day that it was filled in the year 1915. The tank 
was also constructed poorly and tested insufficiently. Carbon dioxide production might have raised the internal pressure due to fermentation in the tank. The addition of warmed molasses and the warmer weather that day may have assisted in building this pressure. The failure occurred from a worker entrance cover near the base of the tank and a fatigue crack there possibly grew to the point of criticality. The tank had been filled to capacity only eight times since it was built. It is also interesting to note that prohibition, the outlawing of alcohol, was said to be ratified the day after the disaster. This would have started a one-year countdown before prohibition was put into effect. This made several people believe that the Purity Distilling Company was cutting corners and trying to outrace prohibition. An inquiry after the disaster revealed that the company treasurer who had overseen the construction of the tank had no architectural or engineering experience. He had also neglected basic safety tests such as filling the tank with water to check for leaks and investigating warning signs such as groaning noises each time the tank was filled. When filled with molasses, the tank leaked so badly that it was painted brown to hide the leakage. Local residents even collected leaked molasses for their homes. A 2014 investigation applied modern engineering analysis and found the steel was half as thick as it should have been for a tank its size. The tank's rivets were also apparently flawed and cracks first formed at the rivet holes. In 2016, a team of scientists and students at Harvard University studied a scale model of the affected neighborhood. Based on the weather, fluid dynamics, and other conditions, they concluded that the reported high speed of the flood was credible. What is the disaster area like today? The property formerly occupied by the molasses tank initially became a yard for the Boston Elevated Railway. Now though, it is the site of a recreational complex named 
original concrete slab base for the tank is about 20 inches or 51 centimeters below the surface of the baseball diamond that's at Langone Park. To the east of Langone Park is Puopolo Park. You can find a small plaque at the entrance to Puopolo Park titled Boston Molasses Flood, which commemorates the disaster. On January 15th, 2019, for the 100th anniversary of the event, a ceremony was held in remembrance. Attendees of the ceremony stood in a circle where the tank used to stand and read aloud the names of those who perished during the disaster. The Boston Molasses Flood was clearly a traumatic disaster and a tragedy that will long be remembered. Part of the legacy of this disaster does include the prevention of other potential disasters. Many laws and regulations governing construction were changed as a direct result of this disaster. In particular, it is now a construction requirement that there is oversight by a licensed architect and civil engineer. This was something that didn't happen for the molasses tank at the Purity Distilling Company and may have been the most important factor. This is the end of tonight's Whisperpedia episode. I hope you are deeply relaxed. If you'd like to listen to many more Whisperpedia episodes right now, then peek in the episode notes or visit sleepwhispers.com or perhaps you are now ready to fall asleep. If so, good night. Sleep well.